Good morning. How's everybody doing? It's a pretty good crowd for a week after July 4th, I think. Has everybody already been to the beach yet? If you've been to the beach, raise your hand. Awesome, I have. Who's going later this summer? I'm available. Just let me know if you got an extra seat. I always like to go back. But hey, really, I'm uh, thankful to be here with you today. Uh, Dwayne uh, introduced me a while ago, but my name is Cliff Marshall, and I'm not the pastor here. So I want to encourage you to do something. If this is your first time, if you're a first-time guest here today at Freedom, first of all, we're really glad that you're here. Second of all, I want to encourage you to come back another Sunday uh, so that you can hear and meet our our pastor, Joseph, and his wife, Miriam. They're traveling back today from Texas. They've been there doing a mission trip, a family mission trip. So I want to ask you to pray for them, pray for them as they travel, but also want to ask you to pray for him every day as as the Lord brings him to your attention. Uh, Pastoring a church is a a heavy weight, and so I pray for him. Uh, I try to pray for him every single day. And I want you to do the same thing. We need to pray for our pastor as he carries the weight of pastoring this church because some of y'all are really messed up and it's hard to be your pastor, all right? I know that. I have 10 years of experience with some of you, all right? So I I understand how that goes. And now he has to be my pastor, which is a whole nother set of problems that he's got to deal with. So, uh, but I am glad to be here today. And like I said, I want you to come back. And if I say something today that you don't like and it's your first time here, come back. If I'm too serious for you, if I'm too, uh, too not serious enough, if I preach too long, if I preach too short, or if I just generally get on your nerves, don't let that keep you from coming back to freedom. Please uh, come back next week. And uh, hey, let me say one thing about Jesse, our gold medalist. Before Jesse was a gold medalist in swimming, he was a gold medalist in hugging, and he was a gold medalist in worshiping. So, uh, so Jesse is such a special guy. I love Jesse so much. And I love his whole family, too. He's got a good brother-in-law he's sitting next to back there. And so the God, we're so thankful for the Godsies that they're a part of freedom. Uh, I, I want to tell you this before we, we jump into what we're going to talk about today. Um, I am so excited about what's happening here at Freedom. Uh, I, because of what I do for a living, I work for the South Carolina Baptist Convention. And so I do a lot of traveling on Sundays and uh, because I, I work in the church planting team. So I'm helping guys get churches planted all across this state and I'd love to talk with you about what we're doing there if you're interested you're a part of that uh, if you're gonna you're gonna have an opportunity to give money at the end of this service when you give part of that money goes to support what's called the cooperative program which is Baptist churches all across the country come together put their money together and part of what that does is it helps plant new churches in South Carolina and there's a lot of places where new churches are needed and and but because I do that, I'm gone a lot on Sundays, and when I'm not here, I want you to know that I miss it, that I always wish I was here, and when I'm here, I'm always encouraged and blessed and, and thankful that I get to be here with, with our folks, with the Freedom family, and so, uh, so really, really excited that I get to be here today. So um, a couple of months ago, it was actually back in March, we were on a trip, uh, Sherry and I and Grace, our youngest daughter, uh, she, uh, Grace's senior class at her homeschool co-op had a had a senior trip to Pigeon Forge. We were actually staying at a place in Townsend, which was up on the top of a mountain that once I drove to the top of it, I decided I was not coming down until it was time to leave because I didn't want to go back, make that drive up there again. It scared me to death. And so the, the last day that we were there, uh, we were, we were going to leave and go to a, a hotel in Pigeon Forge. And so there were two girls that wanted to do some horseback riding. 
So Sherry and I volunteered that we would take those two girls horseback riding while the rest of the group went and did something else. And, uh, and I wasn't going to uh, ride horses, mind you. They were going to ride horses. I was going to take them there because I'm afraid to ride horses. And so, so we, we got the, the address, and, and all I did was I got the address from the other lady who was on the trip, and she, she told me the name of the place, gave me the phone number. I didn't pay any attention to that. I said, just give me the address. I'll put it in my phone. So put it in Google Maps, and it comes up that it was the, you know, whatever whispering, you know, horse whisperer stables. I don't know what it's called. And it was, and, and it said, and I put the address in for Sevierville. So there's this road. I don't know if some of you go up there. There's this road that goes all the way from Sevierville up to Townsend. You turn off the main parkway there in Pigeon Forge, and you just take it, and it goes all the way, winds around to this other big road, and when you get there, you're in Townsend. And I don't remember the name of that road, but that's where this thing was. So we get in the car, and we take off, and I'm following the blue dot on my phone because Google knows all, and it never lies to us. And so we're going down the road, and we come to a place that has a sign that says they have horseback riding there, and one of the girls says, oh, Mr. Marshall, I think this is the place. Well, I look at my phone, and it said we're still 15 minutes away, and so... I said to her, no, this is not the place because we still have 15 minutes to go. Now, now, why did I say that to her? Well, two reasons. One, I'm a man and she's a teenager, and so obviously I know more than she does. The second reason was is I had put my full faith and trust in Google, and I knew Google was not going to lead me wrong. So we went past that place. We drove on till the blue dot told me to stop, and there was an address that was the right address, there were no stables. There was somebody's house. And so I got out of the car, and then I thought, it might be a good idea to call the number at this place and see what the name was. So I called them, and they said, oh, oh, you went past us already if you were coming from Townsend. This road has the same addresses, uh, same numbers. Some of them are Pigeon Forge and um, so Sevierville. Some of them are Townsend. But it's, you never leave the road, and it's the same numbers. So it'd be like I live on 103 Thistledown Way, Taylor's. It'd be like if I never got off that road, and then all of a sudden it was 103 Thistledown Way in Greer. It's just really confusing. The people that laid out the roads in Tennessee, you know, I don't know what they were thinking. But anyway, we had passed it. I had gone past the place. And so what did I do? Well, I could go back in the car and admit that I was wrong, or I went back in and told the girls, hey, the stable burned down, and uh, no horseback riding today. No, I, we, we actually, we backtracked, and I told her, you were right, I was wrong, and, and we went back and we did some horseback riding. Now, what happened there? I had put my trust in something and was heading in a direction to get to a certain place, and I ended up somewhere I never was supposed to be. Why? Because I'd put my trust in the wrong thing. And I, I was heading in a direction. I was making good time. Nothing was going to slow me down. Well, <clears throat> that same thing happens in our lives sometimes. We put our trust in things. We go a direction, and we're certain we're going the right way because we've got some good information or, or we've got some past experience or whatever it might be. And we might even be doing things that we know are good but then we get to a destination and we find out this is not where we're supposed to be at all. In fact, we're a long way off from where we thought we were going to be. I'm going to read you a story today about a guy who, who did just that. And so if, if you've got a Bible with you, look at Mark chapter 10. If you've got a Bible app, just 
swipe till you get to Mark chapter 10. And uh, the words are going to be on the screen as well. And I want to read you these verses here. This is a story about Jesus and his encounter with this, with this young guy. So March 10, starting in verse 17, I'm going to read 17 through 31. Excuse me, 17 through 27. So it starts in verse 17, and he, this is talking about Jesus, and he was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, the young man said to Jesus, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Now, here's one thing I know about all of you. I don't know all of you. I know a lot of you. But there's some of you here that I haven't met. But here's one thing I know about all of you doesn't matter what your church background is, if you grew up in church or if this is your first Sunday showing up at a church. doesn't matter what you believe about the Bible, if you think it's absolutely true and every word of it came directly from God and you're trying to live your life based on it. Or if you think, you know, I don't know if it's true or not. It's something that these guys talk about and I don't know if I believe it one way or the other. But here's what I know about you. None of you want to hear the pastor, the preacher talk about money. None of you do. And right now when I read that story and it got to the part where Jesus said, sell everything you're thinking, you you probably leaned over to your wife and said, in a minute we're leaving. Or you said, I'll be glad when Joseph gets back next week. We don't have to talk about this stuff, right? If you made a list of top ten things you don't want your pastor to talk about, money would be number one. Well, I want to tell you today that this story is about money, but it's about so much more than money. And so you've got a guy here who had lived his life going a certain direction, thinking that he had, had done everything that he was supposed to do, and, and he finds out that, that he was at the wrong place. Now, this story is recorded. The first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those first four books the Gospels. Gospel is a fancy church word that means good news. So it's the four good news books. Now, what is the good news? The good news is what we just sang about before I came up here, where we said, you were rejected, I'm accepted, you were condemned, uh, you, uh, uh, you are my king. What we sang about was the fact that Jesus Christ came. Did I just lose my mic here? All right, I can go without it if I need to or if we need to. Oh, I'm back. Awesome. All right. So, what, isn't it amazing how it just, when I started talking about the good news of Jesus, that's when the mic goes out. I'm, listen, I'm not Pentecostal, but you just got to 
you got to know that their spiritual warfare is real. So here's the thing. Let me reiterate what I said in case you missed it. The good news, the gospel is, is that Jesus lived a perfect life. He was the son of God. And he died on a cross, even though he had never committed a sin, he died for the sins that we have committed and we will commit. You're going to commit a sin this week, I'm pretty sure. I know I am. I've already planned on one on Wednesday. <laughs> just, just kidding. But, <clears throat> but we will. Something will happen this week and we'll commit a sin. And when we do, you need to understand that the, the price Jesus paid on the cross has already covered that sin. And not only what he did on the cross, but the resurrection, the fact that he didn't stay dead, means we can be victorious over sin. That's the good news. And so we have to make a decision regarding the good news. So in these first four books of the Bible, which are called the Gospels, which means good news, three out of the four have this story in there. Now we're reading it in the book of Mark. Now what we know, uh, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this story called the story of the rich young ruler. And in fact, if you're looking in your Bible there, if you Bible app, it might say at the top in bolder print that this is the story of the rich young ruler. So in the book of Mark, we know this guy's young. What we just read there, it tells us that he was young. If you look in the book of Matthew, it also, excuse me, the book of Mark, it tells you that he's rich. If you look in the book of Matthew, it also adds the fact that he's young. And then if you look in the book of Luke, it adds the fact that he's a, a ruler. So it's three different tellings of the same event. And so what we learn from this is this guy was a rich, young ruler. Now, that means he had it all. He had everything. In fact, if he were alive today, he, he's kind of like a biblical Justin Timberlake. That's who he was. I mean, look at this guy, right? This is the guy that everybody would want to be, and, that's, and the rich young ruler was that. So he had it all. He had money. He had power. He had women. Now, it doesn't tell us he had women, but he had money and he had power, so we know that he had women too, right? Justin Timberlake's married to Jessica, somebody, an actress. He's not married to her because he manages a Waffle House, which is nothing wrong with managing a Waffle House, but people that, that work regular jobs like us, they don't get those ladies, right? So this guy had everything. <clears throat> he had everything there was to have. And then on top of that, here's what's even better about the story. We also see that in verse 17, that he was not only rich, young, powerful, but he was a moral man, and he was humble. It's in verse 17, look at how he approaches Jesus. It says that a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, so he was... He was very humble. He didn't come to Jesus and think, I'm rich, I'm powerful, so you need to listen to me. He came in a spirit of humility. And then not only that, we know from the interaction between him and Jesus that not only was he humble, but he was very moral. He, he knew the commandments, and was not only did he know the commandments, he was trying to keep the commandments. And when he says to Jesus, all these I have kept since I was a boy, Jesus didn't say to him, no, you haven't. Jesus acknowledged that, yeah, you're a moral guy. He continued the conversation. And so when the conversation went the way it did, so you've got this powerful guy, you've got this young guy, you've got this rich guy, you've got a moral guy, you've got a humble guy, and then when Jesus sends him away and says to him, unless you sell everything, you can't follow me, and when he went away, what happens there is all of a sudden the disciples of Jesus, they can't believe what they've just seen. In verse 24 it says that they were amazed 
And then in verse 26, it says that they were exceedingly astonished. So the idea there is the disciples are watching this interaction and they're thinking, okay, we've got biblical Justin Timberlake here. He, he's good looking. He can sing. He can dance. He's in movies. He's married to a beautiful woman. He's rich. He's powerful. He's moral. He's humble. It, if this guy can't be a follower of Jesus, then what chance do we have? And they're probably looking around at each other and saying, and I'm just a, I'm just a fisherman, and, and, and Matthew said, I'm worse than a fisherman. I'm a tax collector, and everybody even hates my guts. And then you had a guy named Simon who was trying to actively overthrow the Roman government. And those are the followers of Jesus, and this guy can't measure up. And so I'm sure there was a thought among them, which was, if he's out, then who, who can be in? See, what this man had done was, he had set his life's course pursuing things that m many of us pursue. He had pursued money. He had pursued good deeds. He had pursued humility. None of those are bad. But it had taken him somewhere, and when he got there, he found out that he was at the wrong destination. And what we find out from this story is that following Jesus... The life of Christianity is different than anything else that there is out there. And here's why. Jesus makes one offer, all or nothing. That's the only offer Jesus makes. Now, one thing that, uh, that is fun to do from time to time is uh, if you have an opportunity to buy something, uh, it's sometimes it's fun to try to pay less than what they want you to pay. I don't know if anybody else likes to do that. Um, if you're usually, if you're a red-blooded American male, nothing makes you happier than if they told you it was going to be $25 for you to get it for $20. You just feel really virile and, uh, and manly when you do that. And uh, it's an exciting time for everybody when that happens, right? Now, it does, we don't have that many opportunities to do that anymore because when you order stuff on Amazon, there's not a lot of negotiating that can go on as you swipe across your phone and then it's there in, in 24 hours. But um, there's been some times where we've bought some things for people at the mall. Now, when you go to the mall, obviously you can't do a lot of negotiating, but if they're selling stuff in those things in the middle of the mall, the kiosks, in my mind, that's kind of like an open market, right? It's like you're in a foreign country uh, and you can negotiate. In fact, usually the people that run those, they're from a foreign country, so they're kind of used to the negotiating thing. And so there was a time where we, we were getting a burger flipper for a friend of ours that had like a college logo on it. And so I just decided, I think they wanted 20 bucks, and I decided I'm not paying full price for this burger flipper because this dude in the middle of the mall can give it to me for less. And so, you know, so I started talking to him, and I said, hey, what's the best you can do? And he's like, oh, $20. I said, I'm paying cash. What's the best? So I think I got it for 18 bucks. It's like $2. But hey... I gave him an Andrew Jackson. I got back two George Washingtons. I was super excited about that, that I still had $2 left. And so, you know, sometimes we like to do that negotiating thing and all that kind of stuff. Well, when this guy comes to Jesus, it's not necessarily that he's negotiating. He's just asking. But one of the things we learn <clears throat> from Jesus here is there is no negotiation. That when you approach Jesus with the idea of, hey, what does it take? What am I supposed to do here? to follow you. You've got these other guys following you. I want to follow you. What, what is it going to take? Jesus made it real clear. It's going to take everything you've got. It's going to take all or nothing. And why did Jesus say that to this guy? Well, he knew his heart. 
So that's one of the advantages Jesus has over you and me. When I meet you, I can hang out with you. We can talk. I don't know what's in your heart. But Jesus looked at this guy. It says he looked at him and loved him, and it said he knew his heart. And so in verse 21, he says to him, you lack one thing. You've done all these other things well, but you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, this is the part of the story where I know we can get real out of whack. All right, Cliff, are you about to tell me i got to sell my boat? Yes, sell it to me. I'll give you $150 for it. <laughs> we'll make the deal right after church, you know. I'll follow you to your house. No. I, you know, so you, it, this, this is the part where you, you can get real. What is going to get, you know, what is Cliff about to say to us? And it, does, does, surely that was just a symbolic language Jesus was using. And, and surely he didn't really mean that. It doesn't mean that for us today. Let me tell you this. At that moment, at that time, when Jesus was talking to that guy, there was nothing symbolic about it at all. He legitimately meant, you've got all this stuff, you cannot follow me until you get rid of all of it. You have nothing, then you can come back to me. Now, understand this, that when Jesus said that, that was just as outrageous then as it seems to us now. It was an outrageous, unexpected demand that Jesus made on this guy. And so the disciples, that's one of the reasons why they were dumbfounded and exceedingly astonished. They could not believe what they were hearing from Jesus. And understand this, when you read through all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see all that was written about the life of Jesus, never before had Jesus told anyone to do this and never after did Jesus tell anyone to do this. This was a specific command to this guy. When Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus, and if you grew up in VBS, you remember, you know, he wee little man climbed up in a sycamore tree. Those of you that didn't grow up in church, it's a great story. Um, but Zacchaeus, he got his money deceitfully. And Jesus didn't tell him to sell it all. He told him to go back and give what he had stolen, but he said you could keep the rest, right? This man who approaches Jesus, there's no indication that he was deceitful about the way he got his money. When, when Matthew left uh, what he had to follow Jesus, and Jesus didn't tell him, hey, before you leave, you got to sell it all so you got nothing to go back to. No, Matthew just left the tax collector's booth and came and followed Jesus. So this was an outrageous request that Jesus had never made before and he never made afterwards. But here's the important thing. Here's why Jesus did this. It's because Jesus knew this young man's heart and he knew that the young man's identity security and dreams were all wrapped up in his possessions his identity his security and his dreams were all wrapped up in his possessions and so for Jesus the offer is all or nothing so if, if your identity is in something else if your security is in something else, if what you dream about and what you're, you're, you're seeking is in something else, then those two things cannot coexist. See, when Jesus calls us to follow him, there can be no power struggle between our commitment to him and anything else. When Jesus calls us to follow him, there can be no power struggle between our commitment to him and anything else. There's no exceptions to that. And so Jesus understood this guy's heart. So when he looked at him, he knew, man, you're a, you're a moral guy. You're a humble guy. You're, you're the kind of guy that, that men dream of their fathers marrying. But here's what I know about you. I can see into your heart. And I know that 
even though you say you want to follow me, what's really more important to you is your 401k and your investment portfolio and the land that you're going to buy next week and flip it to make a bunch of money. That's really what's more important to you. And so Jesus said to him, he had never said it before, he never said it afterwards, you got to get rid of all of it. It's me or nothing else. In Luke 9.23, Jesus put it this way. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That there's a sacrifice involved in being a follower of Jesus. It's not just... You take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that, and I like this part of Jesus, I like this teaching of Jesus, and I'm not uncomfortable with that. No, it's all or nothing. Tim Keller, the uh, preacher out of New York, says this, the gospel demands more than you thought, and it offers more than you ever imagined. So when I go to the mall, and I go up to a kiosk, and I try to buy a burger flipper for less than $20, if the guy's not going to back down off the $20, then I have a choice to make. I can either walk away, and when I walk away, what have I lost out on? A burger flipper. No big deal. I probably can order the same one on Amazon for 12 bucks, Or I can give in and, and not take the deal that I was trying to get. Well, this man, he tried to negotiate with Jesus. And he found out that there was no negotiating, and he had to walk away. And when he walked away, it says in verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I think it's interesting there that it says, for he had great possessions. There were other people that had great possessions, but his, the difference was his great possessions had his heart. Not only did he have great possessions, but his possessions had him. And so that's why this relationship with Jesus was not going to be able to work. See, when Jesus said that to him, he had to walk away sorrowful. And by the way, that word sorrowful there, it's a word that means gut-wrenching grief. So he walked away because Jesus had made it impossible to be indifferent there was a decision had to be made. It couldn't be, well, Jesus, I still like you, but, you know, I want to keep some of my stuff, and I'm going, to, I'm going to walk with you for the next, I'll go to the next town with you while I'm thinking this over. Jesus made that impossible. A decision had to be made. It was submit all or leave heartbroken. Now, one of the things that we can do when we read this story is, we focus in on the parts where it says he had great positions, how difficult it is for a rich man to enter uh, into the kingdom of heaven. And, it's, and what all of you can start thinking is, whew, man, I'm glad I ain't rich. I'm glad I ain't rich. Because if you notice, I've never met a rich person. Uh, I mean, I know people got a bunch of money, but they'll say, well, I'm not rich. And it's like, all right, whether you're rich or not, here's the thing. This, this is about so much more than money. There will always be things that compete for your loyalty. There will always be things that compete for your loyalty. Now, it may be money. It might be money. Because here's the, here's the interesting thing about money. You don't have to have a lot of it to be completely committed to it and living your life for it. It's, it's a different thing than a lot of other things. You can be poor 
right? You can be just struggling, barely able to get by, but you still are ruled by money. Money is still your God. Now, you can also have a lot of it and money be your God as well. But whether it's money for you or something else, there will always be something that is competing for your loyalty because anything that you think can give you joy outside of Jesus will leave you empty. I'm going to say that again because I don't want you to miss that. Anything that you think will give you joy outside of Jesus, it will eventually leave you empty. It'll keep you, it'll keep you happy for a while. You'll travel that road and have some fun times and enjoy some different things. But one day you'll come to a point and you'll realize this is not fulfilling anymore. This is not scratching where I itch. This is leaving me empty. So that's why when the reason Jesus made this offer to this man is because he knew that he was going to constantly struggle. If he kept his stuff, if he sold half of his stuff and only kept two of the houses and three of the boats and six of the cars, if, if it's like, I gave half of it away, Jesus, isn't that enough? Jesus knew he would constantly be struggling with, am I loyal to my stuff or am I loyal to this person that I'm saying is my master now? Because there will always be things that compete for your loyalty. Now, let me ask you a question. And if you don't want to answer out loud, it's okay. You can lean over to who you're with and, you know, tell them the answer. Is money good or evil? Is money good or evil? Just answer, talk amongst yourselves. Is money good or evil? Now, and you're going to, after I tell you the answer, you're going to be like, oh, Cliff, that was a a trick question. You're such a jerk, right? Um, Money's neither. Money has no moral value in and of itself. There's a pile of money sitting on this stage. I'm going to pick it up before y'all can get to it. No, but if there... If there's a a pile of money sitting on this stage, it in and of itself has no moral value whatsoever. Pink Floyd saying money is the root of all evil today, that's wrong. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil today. But money by itself is, is not good or evil. Money can be used for either good or evil. It has no moral value. And so many of the things that compete for our loyalty are exactly like that. And so for you, even if it's not money, maybe it's a relationship that competes for your loyalty. Maybe it's your career that competes for your loyalty. Maybe it's sex that competes for your loyalty. Maybe it's your children that competes for your loyalty. And so what Jesus is saying here is that whatever it is that competes for our loyalty, we have to understand that he has to come before all of that. Now, here's the crazy thing about all those things that compete for our loyalty. Most of the things that, now not all, but many times the things that compete for our loyalty were given to us by God as good gifts. If you have money, guess how you got it? Because God chose to allow you to have it. And you're like, yeah, but Cliff, I work hard for it. Absolutely, and you should work hard. And there's plenty of verses in the Bible. Book of Proverbs talk about those who work hard have and those who refuse to work hard do not have. And so all of that's good. But the ability you have to work hard, the ability that you have to be smart enough to earn money, the ability you have to manage money, the fact that you live in a country where you can make money freely, all of those things are gifts from God. And so if you have money, that was given to you by God. If you're in a relationship that's... it's with someone who is, loves Jesus, that's a gift to you from God. If you have children, I know it might not seem like it every day, but that's a gift to you from God. 
If, if you, you know, all those things, those are all good gifts that come from God. And what happens is, is that we will take the gift that God gives us and we will put it ahead of the giver. And so God is the giver of the gift, so we should worship the giver and be thankful for the gift. But oftentimes what we do is God is the giver of the gift and we worship the gift and put the giver in second place. That's what happens with these things that compete for our loyalty. Most of the times they were given to us by him. So as long as you're alive on planet earth, I hate to tell you this, there will be things that will compete for your loyalty with Jesus. So what does this story mean for us? So if you look, the title of this message is, Does Does God Want My Money? The answer to that is no, because it's his money. He's just letting you hold it for a little while. And he can take it whenever he wants to. Not to be, you know, I don't want to be like scary, hellfire and brimstone judgment preacher, but he can. If he wants to, he can take it tomorrow. So if he needed it from you, he would already have it. But here's what we need to understand, is that you should be willing to give it up. Your money, your relationships, your children, all of those things, your career, If anything in your life is competing for your loyalty with Jesus, who if you have committed your life to him, he has forgiven you of your sins, then he is, like we just sang about before I got up here, he is your king. And a king cannot have anything else competing for your loyalty. And so when Jesus said to this man, follow me, but first you have to sell everything. What is he saying to you? Chances are he's not telling you to sell everything. But what is he asking you to give up? Because it's competing. What's getting in the way right now? The thing that you thought you could never live without. See, this is a hard story. And because all of us are tempted to value things too much. But what we need to understand is that our purpose on this earth is one thing. Our purpose is to know Jesus and to make him known. That's why we're here. To know who Jesus is and to make him known to other people who don't know him. And if, and if I'm honest with you and you're honest with me, we would both say that many times we're consumed with things other than that. We're consumed with things other than knowing Jesus and making him known. That doesn't mean you can't have hobbies. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy, you know, whatever it is that you enjoy. But what it means is is that while we're enjoying those things, we have to constantly be aware that I'm very, very close at all times to worshiping this gift instead of worshiping the giver who gave me this gift. Now, the other thing is, is you might be here today and, and you don't really know where your relationship stands with Jesus or you know you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you read this and you think, well, it's too difficult. Biblical Justin Timberlake couldn't even measure up. How can I measure up? What, I, I, I just, I'm not going to be as good as those guys. And Jesus said there were some things that I had to give up and I don't know if I can give them up. And I would point you back to what Jesus said in verse 26 and 27. He said this, And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. 
you may seem and feel that you're so far away, but God can draw you to him. God can take the desire that you have for whatever those things are that are competing for your loyalty, and he can turn those completely around. Because here's what I know about God, and I know it from reading the scripture, I know it from living a life for a good many years on this earth now, and I know it from talking to people that have lived a lot longer than me, that God specializes in the impossible. He specializes in that. And he gets the most glory when he does impossible things. Verse 21, to me, this is my favorite part of this whole story. Jesus knew that he was about to deliver news that this guy did not want to hear. And it says there, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I want you to know today that this story's hard. That sometimes living here and trying to be a follower of Jesus our priorities get out of whack. But you have a heavenly father that loves you so much that he made a sacrifice that goes beyond anything that anyone will ever do for you for the rest of your life. And that sacrifice deserves our full, complete commitment. God's not mad at you. God loves you. That's why he's done what he has done for you. I'm going to pray. When we're done praying, Dwayne's going to come up. He's got a few announcements. I want to say this. If you, uh, hearing this today, if you've got questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you've got questions about this church, um, you can grab Dwayne after the service. You can grab me after the service. Um, you can grab, you know, anybody that has a welcome. Hey, hello, my name is Paige. Uh, it's not, I'm looking at Paige. Um, She's the only one that has that one on. Some other people have their name on there. You can grab any of those people, and uh, they would be glad to tell you more about the gospel, uh, more about this church, and how you can be a part here. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for um, your sacrifice. Thank you that the, that the truth of the cross and the resurrection is, is more true today than it's ever been. Um, and, and Father, I thank you that, that you are a God who demands our complete and full commitment to you that you don't let us get away with being halfway committed, uh, but that, that this means something uh, serious when we say we're going to be your followers. I pray for myself and I pray for each of these folks in here that as we leave this place and go to the places we'll be this week, that we would be shining lights for you, that our desire would be to know you and to make you known in every place that we go. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.